And in that side business, I'm able to charge people $75 an hour, which they are happy to pay because it's $10 an hour less at least than every other electrician in the area. Welcome to The Fi Show, where you'll get a behind-the-scenes look into financial independence. Here's your host, Cody and Justin. All righty. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of The Fi Show. But first, let's check in with the co-host. Cody, what you been up to? Hey, what's up, man? Justin. And I am actually getting ready. So in one week from now, I kick off that book tour with our guest, uh, Grant Sabatier, back from episode 16. So I'm super pumped for that. That's in a week from now and see where it takes me. Uh, my week was a little less exciting, but I did get my taxes done, knocked that out, and dropping some cash on the new Samsung S10. So yeah, even us frugal fanatics, you know, grab some new smartphones every now and then. Heck yeah. But enough about what's going on with us. Let's talk a little bit about our guest this week, uh, the man with the best beard in the game. You can find him outside running around shirtless in the snow, Mr. Captain DIY. Oh yeah, and he really brings it. I mean, I just like his whole philosophy and he's so open with us. He talks about how he had no clue how to deal with money. But then he has this light bulb moment when they're about to have a kid and they realize that they really need to get on top of their financial situation. But let's not tell a story for him. So let's bring him into the show. That was not that long ago. I did not think much about money for most of my life. Really, it started when... My wife was pregnant with our first child, so a little over eight years ago now, and she decided that we needed to have $20,000 saved up before he was born. So that was kind of the first foray into savings for me. My wife's always been a natural saver her whole life, so it was kind of a natural thing for her, but for me, it was a, it was a totally different mindset than I had ever had. And so did you and your wife butt heads at first? Like, was she trying to get you on board to this frugality, this savings mindset, and you were just blowing every penny that came in the door? Or what did that look like? <laughs> I mean, I'm pretty open about different kinds of ideas that she has, especially in terms of money, because I don't know anything. So when she came to me with this idea, I thought, yeah, you know, why not? Let's see if we can get 20 grand saved up by the time our son is born, because boy, wouldn't that be nice to have a little cushion like that? Honestly, I didn't really think it was possible because $20,000 seemed like just such a phenomenally large number to me. I mean, I, I can vividly remember having my first $1,000 in cash and just being blown away by it, thinking just, wow, $1,000 is amazing. So $20,000 was just it, a non-realistic number. But we did it. We managed to pull it off, and it felt really good. When you're saving up a big lump sum of cash like this, I'm sure it's tempting just to blow it. And... When you first got that like $1,000 cash saved up, what would have been the things that you would have been spurging on previously if you weren't saving for this goal? I was a musician. I mean, I'm still a musician, but I played in a band for a long time. And as anybody who plays in a band knows, that is a great way to lose your money. There is tons of stuff that you can buy. I was a guitar player, so that, you know all the different musical effect pedals and amplifiers. And you know you have to get a new guitar because you have the one with the humbuckers and you need the one without the humbuckers. And so there's just so many ways to spend money in, in music. It's, it's so easy to not have any money at all. That's why they talk about the broke musician. And did you just go straight cold turkey on this type of spin or did you have to kind of like ease your way into it? It was pretty much cold turkey. I mean, we weren't really spending like crazy beforehand because we never really made a ton of money. So really the biggest difference for me was bringing a lunch to work. As a 
trades worker. You know, I'm working out of a van. I'm kind of all over the place. I never really know where I'm going to get lunch. And in the wintertime, when you're working out in the cold all day, you want to have a nice hot lunch. So making the adjustment to bringing my lunch in every day, that was probably the hardest part about it. And I mean, it seems a little bit trivial to think about it now, but that was definitely the the biggest adjustment factor for me. Yeah, and it's huge. I mean, people don't think about it, but you spend 10 bucks every single day for 200 days out of the year, say, and that's $2,000 right there. I mean, it's not chump change. Absolutely. It really adds up. And so let's hop back because you are a captain DIY and you are a tradesman. So I just, I wanted to get your money story first, but what was early captain DIY's life like? How did you get into the trades? So I, I did not grow up on a fast track to the trades. My father, he's a, he's an old hippie and he lives out in the woods and he just kind of does everything himself just because that's what he likes to do. I'm not sure where he got it from. I mean, he went to art school. He was an art teacher, bought a house out in the middle of the woods that was falling apart. And he and my mother tore it down and built it back up again. And so my childhood was, you know, helping him build a goat barn. My first project that I worked on him with was building a four-story tree house, which was pretty exciting and terrifying. I think I was about eight or nine years old and we were doing that. So that was really my first introduction to tools. And I, I never had any real attraction to it. I mean, I went to a performing arts high school with a music focus. I went to community college after that and got a graphic arts degree. Just kind of floated my way into becoming an electrician. So just to help keep up with the timeline, did you just do two years of graphic arts school and say, screw this, I want to become an electrician? Or you know, what was the push that got you into the trades? Well, I would love to say that it was two years of community college, but in fact, it was actually six it just, I'm not a scholastically inclined person. So it took me a long time to try to make my way through it. What ended up happening was I, I found my way into a semi-graphic design related job at a sign shop. After I'd been there for a couple of years, I was making uh, fairly decent money, but not great. And it wasn't really going to go anywhere. And I was thinking that, boy, you know, these signs, they have electricity in them because they're lit. If I had an electrical license, I might be worth more money to the sign shop. And my wife heard that. And next thing I know, I'm getting emails from the local aftermarket vocational schools, you know, offering deals to come in and check out their electrical programs. Wow. So six years of community college. So are you 25, 24 at this point? Yeah, I started the vocational program. I want to say I was 25. Okay. And so did you have any family members who are electricians or were you the first one to kind of hop into this profession? No, I'm the first one in my family to be an electrician. In fact, I'm the first one in my family to make money in the trades at all. Everybody else has been, I mean, my mother is a CFO for a large public health company and my father was an antique importer and he's now an EMT. So yeah, I'm, I'm pretty far outside the vein for my family. But your family was the one who kind of instilled those DIY values into you because you said they were doing everything themselves. They tore down a house and rebuilt the whole entire thing. So you were definitely picking up useful, handy skills as you were growing up, I can imagine. Absolutely. Yeah. And just being involved in all these different projects and seeing the way that my father kind of finds different ways around problems. I mean, like I said, he's an old hippie. He's kind of a Yankee farmer. 
And the Yankee farmer way is if something's broke, you got to go fix it because there is nobody around to fix it for you. And he kind of dove into that mindset and I couldn't help but pick up some of it. But, you know, you getting that exposure at such a young age is, is super valuable and something that I'm definitely jealous of because, you know, I'm not as handy as I'd like to be. And starting out at that young age, you know, allows you to start with these little, you know, these small projects and you have your skills grow to a point where you start doing these big projects and now you're saving thousands of dollars by doing work for yourself. Yeah, it's really come in handy. In fact, the house that I currently live in, when we bought it, it was pretty much just a huge disaster. I mean, it was a house that was built in the early 50s and nothing had changed since the early 50s, except for a few little things that the construction worker that had lived here had done himself. And, you know, he did a decent job, but not a great job. So there was a lot of fixing up to do to kind of bring it up to date. And I mean, we ended up in the first six weeks that we bought the house, we tore the kitchen out, tore the bathroom out, put new floors in throughout the house, put in a new kitchen, new bathroom. None of the bedrooms had lights or even light switches. So we had to add all that in. It was it was a pretty good project. And it definitely, we were able to tear out the kitchen and put in a new one for $6,000, which definitely would have cost us quite a bit more if we had hired that out. So for the listener's sake, I know a lot of people are kind of scared of doing DIY projects because they don't want to burn their house down or they don't want to wire their plumbing into their bedroom or something. So what are your top tips for people who are just getting started with DIY projects? Like how do you not completely screw it up, but you still get some experience? Yeah, sure. So I would say start off small. There's a few projects that are really great starter projects just to get a tool in your hand. The more time you spend with a tool in your hand, the more confident you'll become in your abilities. And so a project like painting, that's a great place to start because you really can't screw up too much. I mean, worst case scenario, you have to scrape a little bit of paint off of the floor or you have to repaint your ceiling. You know, you, you paint the walls. It's a great satisfaction to effort ratio. It doesn't take a whole lot of work to paint a room, but man, does it make a difference. So painting is a great place to start. Also, cabinet pulls. Those are the handles on your cabinets, on the cabinet doors there. Changing those out, you know, if you want to change up the look of your kitchen, that's a great way to change the look of your kitchen for very little money. And it's an easy thing to do. If you never held a screwdriver before, that's a great place to start. Captain, I'd like you to talk a little bit about something you cover on your blog about, you know, this many benefits of DIY, because it sounds like there's a lot more to it than just financial gain. Oh, sure. So what I'm talking about in that post, there's a few different benefits to physical labor that I find personally. One of them obviously being that you're saving money on these DIY projects because you don't have to hire somebody else out to do it. Another one is you're getting a great workout from these projects. I mean, tearing a kitchen out, first of all, it feels amazing to blast through a cabinet with a sledgehammer. Second <laughs> of all, you're getting a great workout when you're doing it. So it, it's, you know, it's twofold there. And third of all, and this is incredibly important, I think, is the sense of satisfaction that you get from doing a difficult project, especially one that feels a little bit out of your your scope of abilities, but it just kind of pushes the boundaries a little bit. And so replacing the kitchen was definitely something that was a little bit out of my scope of abilities. Fortunately, my father-in-law has some experience doing this kind of stuff, so he helped me out. So after we finished this project, I got to step back and say, wow, look at this kitchen that I installed. I did this 
with my own hands. And it just feels so incredible to look at something like that and know that I installed it and I get to enjoy it for the rest of my life in this house. Yeah, there is definitely some inherent benefits to creating something yourself. Like anything I've ever done with my own hands, it even if it's worse than like a store-bought product, it just feels so much better. Absolutely. And so another thing I want to kind of dive into is just this idea that's been pressed on, I don't know, maybe the last 30 or 40 years that you have to go to college. And I've really been thinking a lot about this lately. And you set yourself back in a lot of college situations. And I know I can chime in with some of my thoughts, but I'd love to hear your thoughts from a financial perspective, getting into the trades at say 18 or 19 years old. Absolutely. And if you start earlier, I know some people who have gone to vocational high schools and come out of high school with all of their classroom hours, a huge chunk of their apprentice hours, and have gone on to become licensed tradespeople within one to two years after leaving high school. And and these are people that are making over $20 an hour working for somebody else very, very soon after high school. And then from there, you know, they can open their own business and they can make a ton more money doing that. I have a friend of mine who is a plumber. He went to a vocational high school for plumbing. He got out of high school with most of his hours and he now runs a plumbing business. He's, he's in his mid twenties. He's running a plumbing business and he's crushing it. He's making money hand over fist. So when I did it, I started a little bit later in life. Like I said earlier, I went to this aftermarket vocational school when I was about 25 or so. And I did it in probably one of the more expensive ways because, again, I wasn't really financially minded at the time. But this program that I went to, it was a one-year program. And I went from 7.30 in the morning to 12.30 in the afternoon. And it basically, it gave me all of my classroom hours because to become a licensed electrician, you need to have 600 classroom hours. And then it used to be 8,000 hours in the field. Now they've upped it to 10,000 hours. So I came out of this one-year program with all of my classroom hours and a few hundred field hours, and it cost me $25,000. There's a few other ways to do that as somebody who's past your high school age. And in fact, I was just talking with the son of my neighbor recently who's an apprentice electrician, and he did it through community college. So what he's doing is every Tuesday and Thursday evening, I think it is, he goes to classes for a couple hours and he's doing that for the five year duration of his apprenticeship. I'm sorry, he's actually doing it for four years and then he does another year after that. But he's paying $1,500 a year. So total cost of his education is $6,000 and he's able to work and make money while he's doing it. And what's the benefit of this program? Like, is he coming out as a, a master electrician or some kind of upgraded certification? No. So the schooling that you need, you just need these classroom hours before you're allowed to take the license test, the journeyman license test. So there's there's two different levels of electrical licenses. There's journeyman and then there's masters. And the only difference between them is that for if you're a journeyman, you can only have one apprentice working under you. If you hold a master's license, you can have as many journeymen as you like and one apprentice per journeyman. So really the only reason to get a master's license, it's not going to make you any more money if you work for a company necessarily, but if you want to start your own business and start hiring employees, then you have to have a master's license. But so you said you weren't financially savvy when you were thinking about your choice, but in theory, like you said, someone could come out of high school, 
start making it's not unheard of for people to be making 50 60 70 even like $80,000 in a specialized trade at 18 or 19 years old I've heard of people doing it so it's not impossible and imagine you start at ground zero with zero college debt and you're banking that and you heard about these five concepts I'm sure you could easily achieve an 80% savings rate especially if you're still at home with your parents it's just you're catapulting yourself to FI. Absolutely. If I had heard about this concept back in those days, I would be in a tremendously different place than I am now. I mean, the advantages to starting off young in a trade field and not having any of that college debt. And like you said, people can make good money doing this. You know, right at first, I mean, when I first started as an apprentice, I was making $7.50 an hour. And that lasted about a month. And then from there, it steadily went up until I got to about $13 an hour right before I got licensed. And then overnight, I went up to $20 an hour, and it's it's only gone up from there. Plus, I have a side business as an electrician, and in that side business, I'm able to charge people $75 an hour, which they are happy to pay because it's $10 an hour less at least than every other electrician in the area. Wow, and I'm, I'm glad you brought this up because... I know we all hung out with Doc G at Camp Fi, and he's talking about these lazy side hustles where you just, you know, you take this specialized knowledge that you already have and you exploit it for money. And that seems to go along perfectly with someone like yourself with these trade skills. It really is. I mean, I, I kind of have this business sitting in front of me that I, I just have to reach out and grab it. It's, I kind of am having a bit of a mental struggle over this because I don't really want to have an electrician's business because the only way to scale it is to start hiring other electricians. And that, it gets pretty tough to find people that are really willing to work up to my standards and, you know, going to present a good face for me. But on the other hand, I can't not do this business. It's right there. And I keep getting phone calls for people asking me to do work. And as a side business, I can do this nights and weekends, which people really appreciate because then they can be home instead of just opening their house to a stranger and leaving for work. And so they really appreciate the fact that I can show up on a Tuesday evening at six o'clock, or I can show up Saturday morning at nine o'clock and get the job done. And this way I can make a little extra bucks outside of my work schedule. I don't have to take time off of work to do it. Definitely. And has it ever crossed your mind to just completely quit the nine to five job and start doing these little side jobs where you're making multiples of your regular income? I think about it every morning, Cody. <laughs> it's <laughs> when my alarm clock goes off at five fifteen. I'm thinking about how I can do this. So yeah, I have been planning this for a long time. It's going to happen at some point. I can't say when at this point, but I need to talk to some people who know more about numbers than I do. I mean, I need to talk with somebody about what my baseline costs would be. If Because right now, I am supporting the medical insurance and the vision and dental insurance for my family through my day job. So if I were to leave that, what's the baseline amount that I would have to make to cover those costs? That's that's really what I have to figure out. So something else I wanted to talk to you about, and I hope you're getting started on it, that we talked about at Camp Fi is this idea of like making DIY videos and doing something like that. So is that something that you're still pursuing and thinking about? Yeah, you know, that's not something I ever thought about until you mentioned it at Camp DIY. Uh, sorry. At Camp DIY. Until, <laughs> at Camp DIY. Hey, I think we're onto something here. <laughs> at Camp Fi, when you mentioned that, that's that kind of got my head going. Like, oh boy, that's that's actually a pretty good idea. And so, yeah, I'm definitely thinking about doing it. 
again, with that, there's there's a lot of considerations I have to take into account. I mean, I don't have a decent camera and, a, you know, where am I going to film these and what kind of topics am I going to cover and how am I going to cover it and all that stuff. And also liability is kind of a thing that's on my mind for especially for electrical things, because if I'm going to be teaching somebody how to change a light fixture and halfway through it, they get shocked. You know, it's I don't want that sitting on my shoulders. Yeah, I totally get your concerns there because, you know, some of this could be dangerous at the same time. You know, I'm sure there's some pros out there in the business who could give you some advice and, you know, stick some fancy language on there to protect yourself. Like, a, do not try this at home information only. Right, right. I think we're onto something with that uh, camp DIY. That could be a real thing. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. There's that's, another that's one for the... you. Yeah, put a workshop yeah. together and have people come learn how to change a light fixture with you there. There we go. I like it. Right after the videos, I'll start that. <laughs> We've got too many ideas. The <laughs> fact that we're in the same state makes us a lethal combo. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, this is trouble. I think we could do something here. So with the picking up private clients and kind of like the freelance consulting type work where the dollars per hour are much higher, how do you find your clients? Like, I know it's kind of a, a train that keeps rolling after you get that first one, but I feel like getting that first one might be kind of tough. You know, it's not as tough as you might think. I started out doing work for family and friends because everybody knows that I got my electrician's license. And so my family is saying, Hey, you know, I, since you have your license, I have this light fixture that I need you to fix or friends of mine are calling me up and saying, Hey, you know, my uh, garage lights are out and I need you to help me. And then from there, you know, people ask them, Oh, hey, you know, any electricians and especially working in the trades, working with other tradespeople, And I find this a lot when I'm out on side jobs, people ask me, hey, do you know a good plumber or do you know a good handyman? And so I know that friends of mine that are also in the trades are getting these questions as well. And so people are asking them, hey, do you know a good electrician? And it's, oh, yeah, as a matter of fact, I do. Here's his number. And so it kind of snowballed from there. I was at first, the first probably six months to a year, I was only getting phone calls from people that I knew. And since then, it's been mostly phone calls from people that I don't know that got my name just from friends or they go on a Facebook group and say, can anybody recommend an electrician? And a few people mention my name, so they give me a call. And it's, it's kind of just gone from there. And for people who are out there trying to find someone like you, like is there a good resource when you're hunting a local electrician or plumber, you know, like a Yelp for help? Or do you ever team up where it's you, know, you as the electrician synced up with maybe a plumber and a carpenter all attacking the same job? As far as resources go, it's I don't actually know of any off the top of my head, mostly because I don't really hire people. Uh, so like I said about the people going on Facebook and finding me, I think if you go on to a Facebook, so in my town, we have a local Facebook page for the town. And so people go on that page and will ask, does anybody know a good painter or a good handyman? And then people will throw a bunch of names on there. So that that's probably the best resource that I can think of is then, you know, you're getting referrals from people who know these people as opposed to just, you know, throwing a dart at a yellow pages, if that's a thing anymore. <laughs> yeah. I'm not sure if that's still a thing, but I know what you mean. You're not going to just trust the word of some random person across the internet. If someone has a review from someone in California, you might not be so apt to trust over on the East coast. <laughs> exactly. So something that you said twice now is that you aren't going out hiring other people. So is there just a scarcity in the market or are you finding that people just aren't working up to your standards? Because 
I know that a lot of people want to make that blue to gray collar transition, and it seems like that's not something you're striving for. No, I'm Captain DIY, man. I don't hire people. <laughs> <laughs> but actually, you know, I have to tell you, that's that's actually not true at all because I have a guy coming on Thursday to replace my ancient boiler. So I do hire people. And in fact, now that I'm thinking about it more, so this guy who's coming, we found this guy by going on the local Facebook group and saying, does anybody know a good boiler guy? And this guy's name came up a few times. And he's a guy just like me. He works for himself. He's doing it full time now. So he's taken that step. But, you know, he's got a family. He's got his kids. And when I talk to him, it's, you know, hey, can you make it over here today? And it's, well, you know, I'll make it over there, but I got to drop my kids off first. And so we have this great rapport because we're both kind of going through the same thing. And as a tradesperson talking to another tradesperson, there's kind of this mutual respect. Like we both know what we're talking about in our different areas, which means we know a little bit in your area as well. So, we have this kind of back and forth that works out really well. I think actually being in the trades really gives me an advantage when I'm talking to other tradespeople. So something that came to mind as we're talking about hiring out trade work is how scared some people are of just being ripped off. So I'd love if you could give the listeners some tips to, you know, ensure that they don't get ripped off and they get quality work done. Yeah, that's a good one. That unfortunately has probably led to a major aspect of the stigma that goes along with the trades. As far as not getting hosed, it's it's kind of a tough one. I think I would say that calling around to a few different people, if you have a fairly simple job, you can describe it to them and kind of get their takes on it. You can ask them what they think the charge might be. Now, they probably wouldn't be able to give you a set number over the phone without looking at the job, but you know you can at least get an idea of like what their hours are. And certainly if you're talking with somebody, you can kind of get an idea of what type of person they are. And if you just get a bad feeling while you're on the phone with them, go with somebody else. You know, it's when I talk with people, I try to talk with them like we're both human beings. We're both intelligent people. And you have a problem that I just happen to be able to fix. And so sometimes you get people that, especially in the trades, they tend to want to talk down to other people. I'm not really sure why this is, but I have noticed that there are some tradespeople that like to kind of chuckle behind people's backs and say, oh, well, I can't believe they didn't know how to do that. And, you know, you can sense that when you're talking with somebody. And so if you are talking with somebody and you sense that, that's probably not a great person to work with. You know, if if you're talking with somebody and they can speak coherently and they're talking to you like a person, they're willing to answer questions over the phone that's a good sign. You know, if they're not willing to answer questions without going out to your house and being able to charge an hourly rate, and then maybe they're maybe keep calling around. Okay, that's definitely some good tips and I think you're right. It's that gut feeling cuz I've definitely been in that situation before where I know I don't know what I'm talking about and I just feel like I'm getting taken advantage of and in your defense, it's not just the trades cuz I'm finance and economics. I work in banking and you wouldn't believe how slimy some bankers and some mutual fund people are trying to sell people these terrible funds and trying to sell people these terrible products because they don't know anything. A recent example, actually, my aunt was changing funds over from Wells Fargo and we didn't want to be with them anymore to Vanguard. And so the Wells Fargo agent told her, uh, no offense, if anyone works at Wells Fargo, this might have been just one agent, but told her, oh, you don't want to sell your funds. Like you want to keep them here with us. There's going to be some major implications. So I looked into it. There wasn't. And 
I hopped on the phone with them and I said, yeah, we want to liquidate our holdings. Right when I said those words, they were so compliant and so nice. And I'm like, that's just great. You're just taking advantage of people who don't know the lingo. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's, I think, uh, bankers, lawyers, and mechanics all kind of share that stigma. Yeah, yeah. So I'm with you on that, Captain DIY. Just trust your gut. And if you feel like you're getting ripped off, go with the next guy. You don't have to get that thing done right away. Even if it's imminent, I'm sure there's someone else you can find. Absolutely. And, you know, there might be instances where you have an emergency or something and, and then, you know, it, it just is what it is. And hopefully you get somebody that's reasonable and not going to rip you off. And if they do, then, you know, you don't call them the next time. Well, it was awesome having you on the show and we can both attest you being a great and helpful person, both on and offline. So we look forward to following along with more of your journey and more of your story. And if listeners want to do that as well, where's the best place for them to do that? So I blog over at DIY2Fi.com. That's DIY2Fi.com. And I'm also pretty active on Twitter at DIYCaptain. I also have an Instagram account at DIYCaptain. Mostly active on Twitter at DIYCaptain. Awesome. All right, Cap. Don't know if you're ready for this next one because this is the wild card <laughs> question. <laughs> I'm definitely not ready, but bring it. Okay. What is the funniest YouTube video you've watched in the past year? Oh, good one. So there's this guy. I think his channel name is Electro Boom. Okay. <laughs> and I, I think I want to say he's like an electrical engineer or something like that. So the best video that I saw, he makes an electric guitar and he does it by stringing a bunch of wire along his guitar and he plugs a cord into the wall that's attached to this wire. You know, it's it's literally an electric guitar. <laughs> and then he... He says, all right, let's play it. And he goes to strum it and it explodes in his hand and he falls to the ground swearing and yelling. And, and it's hilarious to me, especially as an electrician, because I've seen people do things very similar to that just without meaning to. And it's it's really funny to see it when somebody doesn't die. <laughs> yeah, and I'll, I'm definitely going to go check that out immediately after yeah, I get up this call. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's a good one. Well, this has definitely been an interesting episode and I really hope that people got some takeaways and maybe next time they have a little project going on, they don't go call someone right away. They DIY it. Call the captain. <laughs> That's right. You know, and uh, if anybody has any questions for me about a DIY project, I'm happy to help out in any way that I can. Like I said, head up my website or hit me up on Twitter and I'll answer it as best as I can. Man, Justin, I am just ready to go DIY everything. You know, I'm going to go change my oil. I'm going to go replace my furnace. And I'm just kidding. <laughs> but Captain DIY just kind of showed us that Pretty much anything is possible, especially in this age where you have Google, you have YouTube, you have all these different sources of information. You can learn to do just about anything, and if you get good enough, you can start to monetize it. Yeah, it's definitely true, but I, I do like the caution or you know, maybe just the tip that Cap DIY gave us as far as starting small. So you know, maybe don't go just start ripping the wires out of your walls day one and forget to turn the power off because we don't need any dead listeners. But <laughs> it really is uh, you know, one of those cool things where you start small, you get some confidence, you figure out how to use a few tools, and then next thing you know, you're working your way up to those big projects where you're saving a ton of money. Exactly. And I do like what you just said because I don't want someone to go out and try to replace their furnace. But if you can maybe replace a doorknob that's been messed up or you just go do another little DIY project around the house. And when you start doing this stuff, Captain DIY talks about the triple benefits of DIYing. You get an awesome home workout in, you get the satisfaction of doing something yourself, and you get the cost savings. You aren't paying someone to come replace that doorknob. You can do it yourself for a fraction of the cost. 
Another cool thing about this episode is that it has some advice that doesn't even matter if you're talking about DIY stuff. It just talks about, you know, understanding your value in general. So how did he get into doing the trades? You know, he's working as a graphic design person at a sign shop and realized, hey, these things have electricity and I can have a lot more value to this company if I just go out and I get that certification. And that's true in all jobs. It doesn't matter if it's a trade job. Every job, you need to understand how do you bring value to the company, to your boss, and we've seen that with a lot of our guests. Like, Just understand what it is that you bring to the table and what it is that you could bring to the table and just maximize that. I also really liked how we challenged that, or at least just showed that it's possible, how much money you can make without a college degree. So everyone in 2019 gets pushed, push, push, go to college, go to college. Captain DIY is saying he can make 75 bucks an hour on these side projects, no problem. Like That's what a lot of electricians, that's what a lot of these highly skilled plumbers and all these other tradesmen and women are making on the side. And that's in addition to their day job. So you can just absolutely crush it straight out the gate, age 18, making whatever, how many thousands of dollars a year, pick up some side gigs. If you already have this fine mindset, you're just going to be rocking and rolling. Within 10 years, you'll probably hit your fine number. Yeah, I had the chance one time to work with some Australian military guys. And, you know, they were walking me through kind of how their high school setup is. Once they get, once the kids get to the 11th grade, they kind of look and say, does it make sense for me to go to college? Is that where my interests are? Or should I start an apprenticeship? and start doing things like these trade schools. I wish that we could have a little bit more open mind in America and push our kids towards trades if that's what they feel like they find their interests in. Because there's no reason in forcing someone into going to four or six years of college just to find out that's not what they wanted to do. And then they're saddled with a bunch of college debt and they just lost four years of not only earning potential, but just that lifeline towards financial independence. And Justin, so when it comes to DIY... Whoa! What is it, Cody? I think it's the call to action, man. So today's call to action, I bet you guys saw this one coming. Just go and do something yourself. DIY something. It can be the smallest thing. It can be a little more tough. Maybe you want to go through a few Google searches or YouTube videos, but just go do something. It is going to be so much more satisfying and you'll save a bunch of money. And if you want to share your wins or your DIY projects with the rest of the community, you can join our Facebook group at thefyshow.com slash community. And all the links, everything we talked about in this episode will be available at thefyshow.com slash DIY. And if you've been enjoying the episodes up to this point, please leave us a five-star rating and review. It really means a lot and it allows Justin and I to just get all these awesome guests on and keep delivering valuable content. Thanks for listening. See you on next week's episode of The Fi Show. 